Welcome to the Amity Bible Church with our pastor, Dr. Les Smith, because our vision is to become the church that Christ intended it to be, to know God and to make him known as our mission. And we are committed to loving God, serving others, and are unashamedly obsessed with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can always get the message online, YouTube, Facebook, and our podcast that's air on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you like and subscribe to all three. This month, Pastor Martin has begun a new series we're inside of entitled Loving God. Today, he will explain a taste of love and what that actually means. Turn to Psalms 34, verses 6 through 8, and listen as Pastor Martin dives deeper into the subject. As human beings, we have five primary senses. We have the ability to touch, to taste, as we've already shared, uh, to smell, to see. However, taste is the only one of the five senses that requires us to actually experience it internally. Because you can see something without having to be up on it. You don't have to internalize what you see. But what you see, you can experience what you've seen without it having an effect upon you internally. However, in order to taste something, you must encounter it or you must allow it in. Thus, it could, it could be compared to uh, intimacy or, or, or closeness because it must be experienced within. The other four senses all can be experienced uh, very well by interacting with them externally. However, if you're going to know you can smell something and you know what it is by its smell, but you only have a reference for its taste by taking it. Here's something that I would say. Uh, if you have never had uh, during the summer months and maybe even down here in the south because the weather's much nicer, much longer, grilling time. In the north, you grill in the summertime when it's nice and warm. You have a picnic out. And one of the things is that one of the things I've come to understand is there's no smell. And somebody know what I'm talking about. There's no scent or smell like a grill with some meat seasoned. Now, however, if you've never tasted meat off a grill, you would just simply say, somebody burning something. There's a fire. <laughs> Call the fire department. However, having tasted what comes after the smell of meat on a grill, you said, oh, no, somebody's grilling. Because you have tasted and now you understand. You have a frame of reference. Here's the reality. Just like you cannot experience something uh, through taste unless you take it in, the same goes with the relationship with God. It has to be something not that you experience externally. It's something you experience internally. And what happens inside of you shows on the outside, but it first starts on the inside. And so the psalmist says, oh, taste, because only can you know what it means to understand God's love when you've experienced it. The psalm here, Psalm 34, David, King David is the psalmist. He's the author here. 
Now, he specifically references, when you, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll see that the title actually includes, uh, the, it mentions that David wrote this uh, as a result of or after having been um, delivered by God from Abimelech. That's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. Now, if you go there, you find that the king's name there is Akish of Gath. Now, the thing is, Abimelech is believed to be his dynastic name, the name of his lineage or his, his dynasty. So we're still talking about this instance where David uh, was, was brought in. He's on the run from Saul. King Saul is pursuing him. He's on the run. He finds himself in a foreign land. And when they bring him in and say, we think this is David. David plays as though he's out of his mind. And God delivers him. So David writes this. However, when you look at the content of this psalm, you realize that this is not simply about that particular encounter. Thus, it is useful for us as Christians on a general basis. Because he speaks of God's deliverances that go beyond what we see in that example that he gives. The example that we find in 1 Samuel. Now, here's the key. David begins this, this experience because I'm guessing that as he's already been anointed king, he's believing that it's just a matter of time, and now he finds himself having been anointed to be the next king, he's being chased down by the current king. Now, how many of us, if we, were, if we heard God say he was going to do something in our lives and things take a turn for the worse, that we would say, I still trust you? You walked in the house, and you believe that this was my house. You put your beard in. You didn't get it. You put your name in on the job. You believe that this is my job. It's made, it's tailor made for me. God, this is it. And it doesn't work out. Here it is. You got your faith out there. You wanted that Cadillac. You went up to the lot. You even walked around it seven times. They didn't know what you were doing. You, was, you had your Jericho moment going. You out, there, you out there walking around the car. They don't know you're getting your seven times in because you're getting ready to get this, right? And you go in and you apply. And they said, denied. This is where David is. He's been anointed to be king, and yet he's on the run like a fugitive. And I want to set this up because ultimately he has this situation where he literally has to play the fool. Allows drool to run from his mouth. And the king says, this cannot be the David that I've heard about. Get this fool out of here. David sees this and he says, I will bless the Lord, verse 1. At all times. I need you to understand, he's saying this while he's still on the run. So verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times, even on the run. Because here's the thing. This leads to our first point for the day. Express love for God 
can be best demonstrated by pro proclaiming his goodness. See, naturally, when things are not going well, we want to rehearse back the details of what's wrong. But David said, I'm choosing a different path. I'm going to bless him at all times. Why? Because if I love him, I still love him when things are not good. One of the great challenges to marriage today is that good times and bad times seem to collide. But in marriage, they're supposed to go hand in hand. Because I must understand that there's going to be some good times and there's going to be some bad times, but all the time I still love you. So expressing our love, we have to declare God's goodness. You can always tell when someone's going through a difficult time. They come into worship. The worship leader says, lift your hand. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Why? Because I'm going through. But ultimately, when I feel as though all is lost, here's what the word says. I offer him the sacrifice of praise. See, a sacrifice praise costs you something. I don't feel like it. I'm not glad to be in the service one more time. I feel like standing home, pulling the sheets over my head and closing the blinds. But I've come into the house of the Lord and the word says, let me enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why? Because even when things aren't good for me, the Lord is still good. So he opens up with his open open. Opening proclamation, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Verse number two, he gives his intent. He says, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And here's why this is important. Sometimes someone needs to hear your praise of what God has done. Because David said, and the humble will hear me praise him and be glad. Why? Because the testimony of the saints encourages faith in others. But I want to say something because it seems here when we look here, we find David talking about boasting. And we know that as believers, we're, in, we're, we're charged with not being boastful, to be humble. The Bible says, let others esteem you. Let others build you up. Don't you build, don't walk around with your chest out building yourself up. But watch this. David says, I'm going to boast, but I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm going to boast in the Lord. And here's something I want you to see. Write this down as a note. Boasting in the Lord is knowing who God is and what he, is, what he does. And watch this. Having pers a personal knowledge an experience of him through having trusted him through something. Because when I've gone through and I've trusted, I can say God has brought me out. But here's something that God gave us. If you're ever trying to understand what it means to boast in the Lord, God has given us a full formula for that. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. 
Jeremiah chapter 9, and we want two verses there. Verse 23 and 24. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Verse 24. But let him who glories or boasts Glory in this, that he understands and knows me. God said, the, the, the thing that we can boast in the Lord is that I know you, God. And I know you personally as my personal Lord and as our Savior. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth for watch this for in this I delight says the Lord the Lord says I delight when my children boast in me but not boast in themselves but but boast of their knowledge of me and having had experience with me and knowing that my loving kindness my judgment and my righteousness I'm exercising in the earth it's key to understand that all that God does it flows out of his love even when he says no, he says no out of love. Even when he corrects, he corrects out of love because he says that I, by loving kindness, I'm exercising in the earth. And it all flows out of his love. Because as we understand his love, then we understand what it means to respond to that love. We shared this a couple weeks ago, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And David understood this. He understood that God's acts of love and his, his actions of delivering him, it was God's love for him. See, our testimony reminds us that our faithful God is faithful to us. And here's the thing. We understand, David understands what all this means because in Psalm 116, here's what he says. And you don't have to turn there, I have it here, I'm just going to read it for you. But write this down, Psalm 116, verse 1 through 5. Here's what he says, I love the Lord. That's how he starts it. So in case you don't understand, David is proclaiming because he understands God's, he understands God's love for him and he has a love for God. And he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication because he has inclined his ear to me. See, when we think about God answering prayer, it should remind us of his love. Amen. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me. He says, I had some rough times. I felt like death was on me. The pains of death surround me. And he says, and even the pains of Sheol laid hold upon me. He said, man, I was so bad, I just felt like I was sinking. I found trouble and sorrow. Verse 4, then I called upon the Lord. I call upon the name of the Lord, and O oh Lord, implore you, uh, I implore you, deliver my soul. And here's what he says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. 
Yes, our God is merciful. David proclaims, I love him. And that love is only built and strengthened when we see God do the things that he does. Because it comes back to, he loved me first. And I've come to love him. And I'm growing in that love for him day by day. It's not a quick, hot flash love. You know how it is when you, when you used to be in the, in the space where they drop it like it's hot and lay it down like it's warm. And you see somebody under the shadows and you feel like, man, this is it. And then three weeks later, you, you delete the number. Because it's this kind of love is one that David says, as long as I live. Because he found God to be worth his love, one, and worthy of his continued pursuit of that love for a lifetime. That leads us to point number two. Knowing God's love must be experienced personally. It must be experienced personally. See, uh, a, a father owned a bike shop and he had a son that he would have to come and help him work in the bike shop. The son didn't love bikes. It was his father's passion, but he would work there in the family business. The son had spent most of his life around bikes, working on bikes, but here's the thing, he had never ridden one. So somebody, but knowing that his father's owned bikes and how much knowledge he had of bikes, offered him an opportunity to ride a bike with them. And much to their surprise, when he went to get on, it was clear he didn't know what he was doing. Because here's the reality. You can be around bikes, you may even know how to work on bikes, but you'll never know what it feels like or what it is to ride one until you get on and ride yourself. And what are you saying, Pastor? You can be in the church, you can be around Christianity, you can know all that you, there is about the songs and the worship, but until you come into an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, it'll be just like that son. You've been around the bike, but you've never ridden. You've heard what people say but you've not experienced it. So the, the psalmist says, taste, taste, because here's the thing. I had a plan, and, and, and I wanna say this because I, I didn't know how I could work it out with the COVID and, and being, uh, keeping social distance, but I had this whole plan that I wanted to have uh, some cupcakes up here. Mm-hmm, chocolate and vanilla. And what I was going to do is I was going to have some people come forward, and I was going to say, hey, I was going to give half the people cupcakes and another half cupcakes and say to them, those on one side, I would say, tell me what it tastes like. But as they went to taste, I would say, you can't taste it. Just tell me what you think. And then I was going to have the other side take a bite. 
and I was going to allow for the one side who has tasted to describe what they tasted. Because on one side, they can describe what they saw and what they think it might taste like, but the other side knows what it is because they've allowed it inside of them. I know what it looks like to be a Christian. I know what people do when they say they're Christian, but until I've had Jesus inside of me, until I've got him inside of me, I know what it is. I, it's not just what I heard. It's not just what I've seen. It's what I know. Now, here's the thing, and we're almost done. The psalmist gives us five taste tests in this psalm. Five taste tests. If you would, slide up to verse 6. The first taste test is this. Taste that the Lord hears. See, most of us would say that prayer sometimes gets left out of our day. We try, we make every effort to make sure we have a good, solid prayer life, but it's something that we can easily get, get away from. So here's what the psalmist says. Part of this relationship, if you're going to see God work in your life and do something, you're going to have to do some praying. Here's what he says in verse 6. He says, this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard. See, unless you get to the point where you're not thinking that, hey, I can figure it out on my own, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord and ask him to do what I need him to do, you won't see him do it until you cry out. Verse 15 in this, in this, in this same psalm and verse 17, look what he says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Have you ever prayed and, and didn't think God heard? Have you ever said, God, I've been praying? And I don't know if you're hearing me because I don't see you doing something. But the psalmist says that whenever the children of God cry, the Lord hears. He says the righteous cry, not that I'm right, I'm in right standing with God. Not that I get it all right all the time, but I've been right standing through relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm righteous because of my relationship. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and his ears open to that cry. Verse 17, he says, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. See, so first and foremost, we got to understand that prayer is essential. And even when it feels as though it's fruitless, I must still understand I will only see God's response when I'm praying. So the first test is I got to pray, I got to cry out. Now, I want to say this because David was, a, David was a bad man. When you go back and you read his story, him and his men of valor, they were tough. They were some tough guys. They start recounting what, they, what, what some of their exploits, and they had done some amazing things. But David said, I cried. Brothers, we have to learn how to cry. You don't have to be a crybaby, but you got to be like David. You got to cry. It's David was a tough guy. But when it came to calling out to the Lord, he said, I cried to the Lord. Praying over your family, sometimes you got to cry. 
Get into your closet and God, my son needs you. My daughter needs you. I need you. My wife needs you. My children, my grandchildren. David said, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me because he also talks about supplication. You said, well, he may be saying that he yelled. The word supplication means cry, even wail. There are times that I, that I felt so much pressure for my family's safety and their, and their care that I would just say, Lord, I need you. I'm doing all I can, but I need you to do more than I can do. He said, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. So the first test for every child is to remember, cry, call out to the Lord. Call out to the Lord and, and, and ask him because the word says his ear is open to our cry. The next, next case we find in verse number 6b. After this says, and saved him out of all his troubles. So we, hear, we see here that God rescues. God rescues. Let, verse 4, here's what he says in, in this Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And here's the key. He delivered me from my fears. A study was done, was done asking Christians why do they, what hinders them from praying or what causes them to not pray? And one of the answers that was common is I'm afraid that he may not answer. I don't want to get disappointed. But the reality is this. There are times you're gonna ask God to do something a certain way at a certain time, in a certain time frame. But no matter when you go to him, you always must go and recognize that he is still sovereign. And he doesn't take our advice on how to help us. You say, Lord, here's what I want you to do. You do this on Tuesday at 4 o'clock because you know 5 o'clock is the deadline. I need you to do it Tuesday 4.30, at least 4.30. And I'm even willing to go all the way up to 4.59, but I need you to do it. But he does how he wants to do it. Because he's not do, dealing with what your, he's not just dealing with your present. He's dealing with your past and your future all at once. So he understands. Yes, he understands you have fear. Yes, he understands you've been disappointed. But he's still saying, I still have the keys to your future. So ultimately, his response helps to deliver us from our fears. Here's something else. God is a rescuer because here's what, 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 what Paul said in, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. Keep this in mind. That in while we were still sinners, Christ died. If God was willing to send Jesus to die for you when you didn't know you needed him to die. Now that you know you have a need, you don't think he's gonna respond to that need? 
You needed to be saved. He sent Jesus to save you even before you knew it. Why would he bring you into this relationship and leave you by yourself? Because he is faithful. He is faithful. And we have to remind ourselves, his, when we remind ourselves through his love, we remind him that he will be faithful. He loved me first. And because he loved me first, I know he'll keep loving me. The third taste test is this one. The Lord keeps and he provides. He will keep you and he provides. Verse 7a says this. And the angel of the Lord encamps around about them who fear him. See, the idea of encamping around means to just circle up. That's keeping. That is God saying, listen, I got you. I got it. I got it. I got it because ultimately we are from the point in which we enter into the world. We begin the process to become independent. Little babies, you try to give them their body. Ah, ah. Once they get a little older, you want to help them put the shoe. I got it. And when they get them on, the shoes are facing like this. Teenagers, you say, hey, hey, can I, can let me show you something? No, 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 I got it. Dad is my life. Young adults, you say, hey, look, I'm getting out on my own. Find my own way. Well, maybe you can stay here and get your save up money. No, 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 no. I need a job. I need my apartment today. So we are spending our entire life becoming independent, which is why it's so hard for us to imagine depending on God. Because I've spent my whole life trying to be independent. God, now you're going to tell me I need to depend on you? He says, Yes. Because that's how I made it in the garden. Remember, God set the whole garden up. Adam and Eve didn't have to toil or do anything. The fruit just grew. <laughs> wasn't no worms in the apples. There wasn't no, 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 no fruit flies flying around. They just walked up and ate what they needed. So he says, because that's how I want the relationship is that you depend on me. Not just fit me in, but you rely on me. Fourth one, the Lord delivers. We've heard it, we've heard it before. We're going to say it again. Verse uh, uh, 34, uh, 34.7b says, and he delivered me. Verse 17 and verse 19, this is what it says. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Here's the next one. Psalm 19, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I was driving. We were going through a very tumultuous time in our life. And I was heading over to the church some years ago. And I was so distraught that I almost didn't want to even go. And as I was walking out to, the, to get in the car, I got in and I just sat there in the front seat and I just sat there. And I just said to myself, God, I can't believe that you're allowing all this to go on in our life. And this very verse came to me. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, I was in the first part of the verse. I was like, I got an affliction. <laughs> and I've got a lot of affliction. But, so what I began to do, Minister Anthony, as I was pulling out, I began to say, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And as I put the car in gear, I said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. By the time I made it to the stop side at the end of my block, I was yelling it in the car by myself. I said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord's going to deliver me out of them all. Why? Because if he said that, I can hold him to it. So I didn't know when he was going to deliver. I didn't know when he was going to make the way, but I knew his word. He says, I stand on my word. But the Lord delivers me out of them all. The last one, the Lord blesses those who trust in him. Verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. God blesses your confidence in him because he gets excited about your confidence in him. One more example, let me share this. So I took my son to the store to a GameStop so, and, uh, and purchased a game. This, this, I just offered it. What he didn't know was I'd heard him telling some of the other kids, my daddy can beat your daddy. Now, normally, you know, I would go to hell. So, no, don't talk like that. Don't, ain't, ain't no beating going on around here. But he was telling them, my, my daddy can beat your daddy. And so listen, as a father, I got so excited. Watch this now. I got so excited about his confidence and his trust in me that it made me want to do something for him. Something that he didn't even ask for, I wanted to do it. Why? Because he showed his confidence in me. And what I'm saying is that God will bless those who trust in him when you proclaim his goodness and you declare, I know my God is able. He gets so excited as your heavenly father that he responds and blesses in ways you didn't even ask for. Yes. Just because you said, my daddy's, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. My daddy can beat your daddy. It stirred something in me because I saw his, his confidence in me. Last point of the day, and I'm done. God redeems the souls of those who put their trust in him. Slide down to the latter part of this Psalm 34. It says, verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Thank you for visiting the Amity Bible Church. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist you in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us 
or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.